102.5 FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Dr. Sasha Brzezinski, professor and director of UCLA's Anxiety Disorder Program. He's also the founder of Brainsonics. We will be talking about anxiety disorder and how you can deal with it. Also, we will be discussing his Brainsonics innovation that has woken people out of their coma and other possible disorders with this device. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Brzezinski. What is the most common psychological disorder today? Well, uh, anxiety disorders as a group is most common psychological disorder. And uh, among those, most common is actually social anxiety disorder. Um, but very frequently, anxiety disorders overlap. They, they come in bunch. People have a different variety of anxiety disorders in the same people. So anxiety disorder is the most common. How would you define or describe an anxiety disorder? Well, anxiety disorder, it's people who really have a lot of fear. It's a, most commonly it's a fear-based disorder, and it could come from some specific fears like uh, uh, simple phobias, or it come from fears of uh, their internal sensations like in panic disorder, or it comes uh, from fear of uncontrollable worry in generalized anxiety, or, or uh, some other uh, uh, fears like from a traumatic episode like in post-traumatic stress disorder. So there's social, and then there's phobias, and then generalized, and PTSD. Are there any other? Uh, oh, there are. There are many groups. Many groups. Are, uh, yeah, uh, and that's why uh, it is one of the uh, most common uh, disorders uh, in mental health. It's uh, uh, one out of three people in the United States have lifetime occurrence of uh, anxiety disorder. So it's very, very common. I usually would like not to go just by the uh, labeling people with the disorder. I'm trying to understand dynamic interaction between different components of anxiety disorder that forms the picture. Well, one out of three people is a lot. That's a third. Um, so it sounds like, but it sounds like generalized, would that be the category that applies to more people then? Um, you know, the most common is social anxiety. We're all, uh, fearful of other people judging us, but some people go far beyond that. Um, generalized anxiety disorders is also very common and it's mostly people who worry about almost everything. 
if uh, people who worry about their health, finances, uh, different occurrences in their life, it's uh, it's also extremely prevalent. Probably roughly around five and five, five point five or six percent of uh, population have that. So, can you describe? We should probably start with social, since that's the most prevalent. What is a social anxiety disorder? And then maybe we can go down the line and talk about the differences between each of them, the phobias, and then generalize in the PTSD and the treatment options for them. But first, you know, I'd love to understand, for example, for social, what are the symptoms? Like how um, how would one know um, he or she has a social anxiety disorder? Well, uh, uh, let me tell you first two things. One, I usually do not try to fit people into categories. I said some people meet many uh, or a few of uh, anxiety disorders. I'm more trying to understand from the position of uh, what we call ABC anxiety, where A is for alarm. It's like almost like a car alarm. It has in all of us installed by the nature uh, it's a rapid response system, physiological and, and psychological. And then uh, we have uh, the second system, which is belief. It's more complicated. It's our reality. It's what we remember. Uh, uh, and uh, access to those beliefs is sometimes compromised by anxiety, and we uh, get stuck in false beliefs, catastrophic beliefs. And the third thing is coping strategy. Is uh, uh, that's for C. Uh, people cope in uh, with anxiety in a certain way that sometimes uh, seems to be good, but then it maintains anxiety. So uh, if we're talking about uh, social anxiety disorder, let me uh, give you an example. Let's say a person who is uh, uh, going to present something who he afraid will be judging him, uh, and sometimes in generalized uh, uh, social anxiety disorder or generalized social phobia, uh, people are afraid of almost any social interaction. So this person would go, uh, say, on the podium, and suddenly they feel that they're sweating profusely, and that's uh, their alarm. They, their heart is palpitating. They, they feel dizzy, nauseous. And then they start worrying about their performance. They, this is B. They access the beliefs uh, and mostly catastrophic beliefs. People will judge me. I'm going to fail right now. I would not be able to uh, present well. So they worry, worry, worry about that. And sometimes coping is they start making uh, pauses. Uh, and sometimes they even could leave the podium. And uh, and that would be, uh, uh, or they will feel that people could see them sweating, and they would uh, sometimes interrupt their speech and just leave. And and then next time it's going to be even more difficult to give a speech. So uh, that is one of the uh, examples. But again, each of these disorders is extremely complicated. For example, there are people who are impaired. For example, uh, I had a patient that 
uh, would come into, uh, it's a male, come into bathroom. And then they afraid to pee because other people would hear their uh, urination and they will judge them or they will be embarrassed about that. And they then they become avoidant of that. Um, and social anxiety is very big on avoidance. That's the main coping strategy. I have to avoid that. And, and sometimes uh, uh, this particular person could not come. Uh, to any meetings because they would be afraid of this anxiety repeating itself and they would avoid all the public bathrooms and you have to sometimes go when you have to go so and uh, more than that when you're anxious you sometimes have to go more often so he was locked in this vicious cycle of having anxiety and then needing to run for the bathroom and then unable uh, to go into the bathroom because other people will be there, and, and uh, he started to avoid a lot of uh, meetings, and it, it, it significantly impairs people' performance. So, how would you treat it? Well, uh, uh, usually, uh, main two treatments that being employed are um, behavioral therapy and medication. And they have proven uh, to be almost equal uh, for these disorders uh, and have their pluses and minuses. Uh, medication could work faster, but may not give the same permanent relief as behavioral therapy. Uh, sometimes it's good to employ both of them in, in tandem. So, uh, well, how... Um, uh, uh, I can give you an example. When, when people come into our clinic um, uh, in UCLA Anxiety Disorders Program, we first explain to them why they're having anxiety and what maintains them. And we talk about this ABC anxiety theory. We explain to them and ask them to monitor their alarms their beliefs or their thoughts that occur in their mind. And what do they do to to deal with the anxiety, and sometimes what they do is uh, uh, that maintains anxiety because you escape and you have immediate relief, but next time it's much more difficult to come into the situation. So uh, we explain that, and uh, then what we do, we expose people to the situations that trigger those uh, anxieties. We expose gradually. We teach them some uh, techniques that could reduce overall level of anxiety. For example, uh, teach them re relaxation, meditation um, uh, strategies that they could do outside of the situation. But then we uh, really create something that we call hierarchy of fears. And that would be uh, we're rating fears from 1 to 10 or from 1 to 100 and create several situations that would frighten this person. And then would be, um, we would um, expose them to kind of medium level and then uh, try to increase and increase and increase uh, uh, the level of uh, situation, level of trigger that causes the fear. And slowly, 
prevent people to avoid this kind of situation. And uh, uh, very interesting, we're not just targeting anxiety and decrease of anxiety, we're also targeting change in beliefs because people predict that one thing will happen. And uh, in reality, if they stay in the situation, deal with their anxiety and kind of uh, focus on performance, uh, say on the speech, instead of uh, focusing on how anxious they are, the anxiety will be there, but it will become not very important. And they would be able to stay, and next time it will be easier to uh, go into the same situation, next time even more easy. Now, some people would not be able to handle that and uh, because their anxiety um, uh, is too high. You see, in ABC theories, all these circuits that drive alarm, we have alarm circuits, those who have access to our internal reality, to our beliefs, and those who determine our coping, they all interrelated. Brain response, it's uh, whole. And sometimes we just resort to avoidance. If we start running in coping, we, all the energy, all the blood supply goes to the coping. And we may be decreasing our anxiety alarm, uh, but we basically incorporate the belief that the next time uh, this situation is uh, more dangerous, and, uh, and next time people go into the same situation, they have much more anxiety, and that's how they maintain it over time. So, so we sometimes give people medications to reduce anxiety, and uh, we mostly give the medications called antidepressants. They also help with anxiety and uh, and uh, uh, also uh, help accessing more positive beliefs. So people uh, become uh, uh, more willing to stay in the situation. They become more uh, willing to challenge. Uh, and it requires a lot of courage to challenge those situations. So I was about to ask you which drugs do you usually pair to dial down the anxiety? What's the most common that's used for in these situations? The most common uh, medication that is used for anxiety right now is uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. They, as a group, uh, 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 the most common and probably the most effective in, in anxiety disorders, they produce about 60 to 70 percent uh, uh, of relief. And um, in some people, they completely block anxiety, and uh, they could go and just uh, have temporary treatment with this, and they, um, uh, they recover. And in some people, uh, in majority people, people still need uh, some form of behavioral therapy or instruction from their physician to go into um, the situation, challenge yourself, and also perform some anxiety-reducing strategy, uh, speaking to someone uh, uh, more rationally in, in uh, regular therapy or doing behavioral therapy by a specialist. So the most effective 
therapy is really to dial it down with medication physiologically. And then with behavioral, where you try to um, turn down the stimulant in, in showing them that they can, they can actually handle it and that it's a false belief. Is that correct? Uh, right. It's, it's learning new coping strategies. Learning new coping strategies. What about phobias? Uh, phobias, um, what are the most common phobias? Well, uh, uh, as I said, the, the most common uh, phobia is a social anxiety disorder or social phobia. Uh, but there are many other uh, spider phobias, snake phobia. And again, uh, we're all uh, sometimes afraid of those creatures or fear of dogs, fear, uh, uh, fear of some uh, open spaces, closed spaces. There are tons of phobias, and each of them has a convoluted name, uh, usually a Latin name, but again, they all work on the same principle. What about they, washing your hands too much? Do people who constantly, they're using hand sanitizers or overwashing their hands? Well, uh, it's a phobia of germs, right? Well, yeah, it's germophobia, but that's usually a part of a different disorder. It's a part of obsessive-compulsive disorder. That's very typical phobia. Obsessive-compulsive uh, disorders uh, removed currently from anxiety disorders, which uh, I actually uh, have disagreement with that because uh, there are compulsive disorders that are uh, not fear-based, but they are fear-based, and, and they behave exactly like phobia, and the same kind of principles of treatment help them. Uh, those are also um, uh, responsive to some uh, serotonergic medications. Um, and again, uh, uh, we frequently use them together with behavioral therapy. What about generalized, then? It sounds like... It's such a broad category, and there must be quite a few people who fall into that. And I, the example that comes to mind for me is when women become moms. It seems like the worrying increases for them because now they're caretakers and they have to watch out for someone else, and there's this and that. It's, I would think that there's a genetic, maybe a genetic component to that. I'm not sure. So if you can explain, generalize, and whether... Um, and then the whole genetic component that may be tied well, back to. Well, uh, uh, here is uh, what's happening. I mean, normally every mom, when they become mom, uh, <laughs> they, they, they worry, you know. Uh, we're talking about excessive worries, worries that interfere with function, worries when you, for example, don't let your a uh, child doing certain things that are normal for uh, children or not even uh, uh, not even allowing them to go to school because you're afraid that something is going to happen. And in generalized anxiety, it's usually very vague uh, worries that occur, and it, uh, it could cover a lot of different things. For example, uh, people could worry about uh, other people in their family. Uh, a good example for um, uh, you have a husband, not mom now, we're going to husband, who afraid that his wife uh, 
will get into car accident and require them to call every time. Well, of course, sometimes uh, his wife is on the phone and forgets to call when she leaves the office, and uh, she does not arrive on time. And uh, suddenly he realizes she's supposed to be home. She's not at home. He starts calling her and interrupts maybe conversation with her friend. And she pick up. Uh, she's in the car and she says, well, uh, you're disturbing my driving. Don't call me right now. And now he hangs up and feels, oh, my God, I disturbed her driving. She confirmed his worst fears, then he calls her again, and she now doesn't answer, and he frantically starts calling. And then when he comes home and they have the whole big fight about that, uh, you see, uh, we judge anxiety disorders by degree to which it interferes with people's um, uh, function. And uh, most of the people can immediately determine that the person is really have excessive fears and it excessively interferes uh, with their functioning. But some people just have garden variety anxiety uh, caused maybe by stress or by, by um, uh, legitimate worry or maybe by something that happened in their past just like in post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's about Uh, how much it interferes with the person's life. Um, We're going to take a quick break and thank our underwriters and be back on how to address anxiety disorder with Dr. Bastritsky. We know you, and we know you're out there listening. Support KXSF during our low-power, high-ambitions fundraising drive by donating now at www.kxsf.fm. Every dollar goes straight into keeping SF Community Radio on air, providing music and programming you won't find anywhere else. Live, local, and totally San Francisco. Support KXSF 102.5 FM. Donate online at www.kxsf.fm. Thanks. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. I was talking to Dr. Bratstritsky about generalized anxiety disorder before the break. Um, we were talking about how it's really tied to how much it disrupts one's life. So going back to that, um, you were saying, it, so if it becomes a big disruptor, it's then it becomes and becomes problematic. That's when you need to seek treatment. Is it the same treatment strategy for generalized as it is with social? Yes, it is. But ABC is much more difficult uh, to spot in generalized anxiety because almost everything is happening in the head. I gave you an example where something, some coping strategy happening, uh, happens outside of the head when the husband calling uh, to the uh, wife. Uh, but sometimes people just worry 
you know, something triggers their worry. For example, uh, they start to worry about uh, their health or their uh, partner or their uh, husband or wife's uh, health. And uh, nothing can reassure them. They say, no, they, they look sick or something like that. And uh, that all happening within their ha- uh, head. They have a trigger which causes them to be physically anxious. It's, it's very difficult to tolerate. Their belief is that their uh, 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 husband is, say, mortally ill, and uh, nothing uh, they could do. They bring them to the doctor. He is getting to un- uh, anoint. So the coping strategy is to bring them to the doctor, for example. But sometimes the doctor say everything is normal and finally refuses to see this patient. And the patient uh, going back uh, uh, and worry becomes, or what's happening in their head, becomes a coping strategy. And it almost like fuses coping strategy with trying to uh, uh, reassuring yourself. So you reassure yourself by worrying yeah. more. Right, because you feel if I don't worry about them and then they get sick, I will be guilty. So you see, sometimes this kind of faulty logic brings uh, the anxiety and maintains anxiety. So the strategy is actually, again, educate them about what maintaining the anxiety, trying to identify this A, B, and Cs, and then uh, we have much more control. We we don't have uh, much control over feeling because, yes, you could try relaxation, exercise, meditation, it takes time to learn how to do that and some people are so anxious that they never learn that or are unable to learn that in reasonable time uh, beliefs are very difficult to challenge because you cannot kind of uh, challenge uh, uh, something that you cannot uh, uh, see and that they do not uh, share with you and uh, and the third thing is uh, kind of reassurance or action, it's it's a difficult, it's a different thing. It's it's something uh, under our choice and our control. But it's difficult without kind of experimentation, without uh, trusting their uh, their physician or their psychologist to change those beliefs and make them not to go into this frenzy of. Uh, worrying and trying to reassure themselves and then worrying again and and trying to do some actions about that. What about PTSD, though? It's pretty extreme, right? The veterans I've met and talked to, it's it's a very extreme form of anxiety. Um, It's it's much more traumatic. And it's real. Well, uh, well, all of them are real. (laughs) Um, so, but uh, in some other disorders, things that they worry about, for, like for example, in panic attack, people worry about uh, or have believed that they're going to die from this panic attack, uh, but that never happens. In uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, it's usually person experienced or witnessed something that is outside of normal human experience. They actually witness something uh, 
or experience something that where they were feeling that they're going to die or somebody who is close to them or somebody or uh, massive uh, uh, number of people get terribly hurt and person was close to them and was in, in a similar situation, then uh, that get imprinted in their memories, and memories very frequently drive belief. The world starts to be dangerous, and they react to anything that reminds them. They, they have reminders of uh, this uh, episode, and those reminders occur during the day, and sometimes they come in their dreams and start to seriously interfere with sleep. Uh, sometimes people feel like the uh, dangerous episode, re, uh, re, they re-experiencing there. It's, it's a feeling, it's a flashback, we call it. It's almost like they again, re-experiencing that, and sometimes they dissociate and not aware of the reality around them and, and react to that extremely. So uh, it's a very complex disorder, and it usually has specific triggers that actually um, specific um, episode of danger uh, that triggered that. So... What would someone with PTSD, how how should he or she approach getting treatment? What's Well, uh, the treatment actually is, uh, uh, is on the same principles. It's sometimes it's uh, a little bit uh, different from the other disorders that you do a lot of uh, 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 basically going over and over the episodes that happen, and you have to try uh, to find the most vulnerable uh, moment where they feel or felt that their life or body is disintegrating. And and uh, what works the best in behavioral therapy, it's uh, uh, prolonged exposure. Again, it works on the same principle, ABC principle. People have severe alarms, a reaction to those uh, uh, triggers. Uh, they have beliefs that uh, they endanger at that time and they avoid situations or do drastic things to defend themselves when they don't need to defend themselves. But in, or the, get in the PTSD frozen. situation, don't they do actually physiologically feel... I mean, it is an extreme feeling for them, right? Because they've experienced it and it's imprinted. Right. And actually, this uh, physio- extreme physiological feeling during the episode may be one of the things that gets imprinted and re-experienced when uh, people meet with a similar situation or situation that has remote even similarity. These extreme strong feelings uh, and physiological response uh, return. That's why sometimes people recommend to give um, uh, some uh, drugs, uh, for example, like clonidine, that blocks this physiological reactivity in close proximity to the 
uh, episode, like uh, for first responder, PTSD became more chronic. Uh, so people, uh, you see, each episode you re-experiencing become it's uh, almost like its own traumatic episode. You're experiencing, and then you say, oh, I cannot go in this alley. That was uh, dangerous for me because these feelings overwhelmed me and I could have uh, could have been attacked again or something like that. So uh, uh, even re-experiencing, creating secondary trauma in those people. So you, you, you do a lot of... Uh, kind of talking to them, explanation. Again, we we do sometimes explanation of this ABC. Uh, we uh, try to reduce arousal, for example, at night. Um, and there are specific medications like prozazine that could be given at night to reduce reactivity and uh, nightmares. And it requires a complex treatment. Believe me, even for simple phobias, the treatment sometimes becomes extremely complex. It depends on severity of the uh, reactivity, it, uh, how ingrained people believe that they're in danger, and how flexible are people to change them. So uh, sometimes uh, treating simple disorder and complex disorders of anxiety becomes almost the same. So it sounds like it's about how many different circuits get triggered at the same time? Uh, well, uh, uh, we right now, besides medication now and, um, uh, and uh, behavioral uh, strategies, we're also trying to understand what circuits involved in, uh, uh, in specific disorders, in specific people. Uh, and people exploring right now combining circuit modifications with behavioral therapy. Time for a short break, and we'll return more on anxiety disorder and how to treat it. Come celebrate life on the edge of the Western world. Join KXSF 102.5 FM on Saturday, October 12th for the Ocean Beach Art and Music Festival at Noriega and 45th Avenue. Hosted by the Outer Noriega Merchants, this amazing community festival features local artists, craft for kids, beer and wine booths, food trucks, kids' activities, and loads of live music from a dozen bands on two stages, including the Sandys, Hot Mountain Dips, and the Reef Riders. KXSF will be there repping community radio with merch and kids' activities as well. That's the Ocean Beach Art and Music Festival at Noriega and 45th Avenue on Saturday, October 12th, between 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. See you there! This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Back to treating anxiety disorder with Dr. Bootstrisky. Um, so before we launch into the latest innovation that you're involved in, is there any genetic basis to anxiety? 
Yeah, um, uh, definitely. Uh, and different uh, anxiety disorders have different genetic components. And there have been actually uh, multiple studies that explored uh, genetics. Uh, what we're coming down to that those disorders do run in the families. Uh, different disorders have different family uh, percentage. Like, for example, uh, OCD seems to be one of the disorders where, which runs in the family more significantly. So you could do population studies, and population studies, all anxiety disorders come uh, 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 related to depression, and related to alcohol and drug abuse. And it's possibly because people very frequently cope with uh, anxiety by starting to use alcohol or drugs, and then they get addicted to those, and, and then the addiction has a life of its own, but when you stop at any addictive drug, you have a, a huge rebound in anxiety that drives people sometimes. It's part of the withdrawal, main part of the withdrawal that drives people sometimes to reuse the drugs. So this, uh, this comorbidity or co-occurrence uh, happens in, in large family studies, and, and those uh, three categories usually run in the same families. So you have to be more aware if you're susceptible, or you could be more susceptible to right, and 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 some families just you you have a feeling that they run diatheses of anxiety, and and uh, and uh, many members of the family are uh, affected with the same disorder with different degrees. Some people are functional, and some people are dysfunctional. As I said, that that. Disorder maybe or diathesis may be present in different members of the family, uh, uh, but some of them learn to adapt uh, to those. Some people use or, or thrive on anxiety, and they use that anxiety to enhance their performance, only, almost like scaring themselves into performance. And uh, uh, so it, it depends on how adaptive they are. That's that would be novel to be able to use anxiety to maximize or to enhance your performance. Yeah, well, uh, anxiety uh, is well. The question is, if we did not need anxiety, I would say God or nature would eventually eliminate all the people with anxiety, right? But we need those. We need those circuits. We need those alarm circuits. Without them, we, we would be prey, right? So, <laughs> for uh, different carnivores. Uh, uh, so, uh, I think that uh, uh, anxiety sometimes uh, supports survival. Yes. And and uh, and uh, again, it's it's in coping strategies. If coping strategies are adaptive, they are adaptive. For example. Uh, uh, if you um, sitting in the audience and somebody walk in with a gun and you hide or you run, it's very adaptive, right? So that brings <laughs> me back to uh, when you mentioned panic attacks and the difference between that and PTSD. 
it seems more common when people, let's say, have to do public speaking or it's probably similar to stage fright. In that case, it seems to be brought on by a certain cue, right? Environmental cue. Is there is it the same treatment if someone is feeling heart palpitation and get, and it's it's increasing? Is there something you can do at that moment, or is that a treatment course that you need to be on in order well, to uh, dial it down? You you can do something in the moment. You could reduce, for example, physiological sensation by giving people something like beta blockers. It's uh, it's. Uh, 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 it's medication that stops arousal. Uh, you could sometimes, on certain occasions where a situation does not repeat itself very frequently, give some benzodiazepines, which uh, with chronic use are not very good drugs because they have addictive properties or uh, uh, they, they you could become physically dependent on them. Uh, but in small doses, in some acute situations, they could be uh, good. But let's, let me again go back to um, this uh, ABC theory. You could see how it could play out in, uh, in uh, say, panic disorder, where the trigger is your own sensation. In a way, a panic attack is is a fear. Panic attack is an event. Usually it's related to stress. But panic disorder occurs when people start being focused on this, um, uh, on this feeling within there, and they have believed that it's extremely dangerous, that they're going to die, or they have something seriously wrong with them. Panic attacks could occur in the situations that are uh, previously caused by traumatic events. And in a way, some people who treat panic attack postulate them as uh, uh, post-traumatic stress towards a severe panic attack, which is extremely traumatic episode. Like uh, people who have them for the first time, they know that it's not your garden variety anxiety. It's, it's extreme. It's a it's hundred times uh, more uh, pronounced than in any anxiety you normally experience. Some people say it's out of this world. I cannot control that. And of course, they, uh, they uh, just like in post-traumatic stress disorder that is too external event, they uh, incorporate that uh, and in their memory and in their belief system. So, uh, so treatment for that is to expose to these triggers and again stop people from inadequate coping, stop them from running away from those uh, situations, gradually take more and more courageous move toward becoming free of this disorder, free of phobias associated with this disorder. Um, uh, it's a highly individualized treatment because no one has uh, the same disorder. People have different circumstances, different life circumstances, family circumstances. It really needs to be approached what is the best for this uh, particular person. But some overall strategy, of course, can help to some people. Good to know. It sounds like it's more individualized than a 
generalized approach. Um, Time for a quick break, and we'll be right back with a new innovation for treating brain disorders. Join KXSF 102.5 FM at the Chapel on Tuesday, October 15th, as we present a double bill with singer-songwriters Jesse Mullen and Joseph Arthur. Well, I'm up on 24th Street and I'm looking at a life Standing on the corner watching people passing by Mullen, the former D-Generation leadman, and Joseph Arthur of Fistful of Mercy and RNDM are on tour in support of their new albums, Sunset Kids and Comeback World. The chapel is located at 777 Valencia at 19th Street. The show starts at 8 p.m. and tickets are on sale at the chapel website, thechapelsf.com. Hope to see you there. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Back to treating anxiety disorder with Dr. Bustrisky. He's also the founder of Brainsonics a company that has created a device that's woken people out of coma. Can you tell me more about Brainsonics and the device that you are part of creating? Well, I, I have to thank for that, actually, my work in anxiety disorders. Many years ago, I started uh, uh, imaging work in anxiety disorders, and I think I did one of the first uh, studies where we stuck people into MRI, and provoke anxiety and assess function of MRI or very quick uh, MRI uh, take where you get almost like a movie of what's happening in the brain. Uh, so we were trying to find out what circuits involved. And the way we did that, we took panic patients uh, or generalized anxiety patients and we gave them uh, uh, to read their own script and they uh, started either experiencing anxiety, but sometimes they would not experience anxiety, and we would ask them why, and they say, uh, I tried not to think about that. So uh, I realized that people think about what they want to think about in the scanner, so I need to remove that. I need to stimulate their brain using something else. So I started looking for answers, and I came upon... um, uh, some old studies that were done on animal brain uh, that uh, uh, was modified by focus ultrasound pulses. Ultrasound is uh, is a sound that we cannot hear, and uh, it actually could penetrate the brain in certain uh, carrying frequencies and affect very deep areas of the brain, all the way to midline, all the way to thalamus, uh, thalamus, where all the wiring from the brain comes together. So uh, 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 we developed this uh, device in UCLA, and also I did some uh, work as a visiting professor in Harvard Medical School, and flying back and forth. And finally, we uh, have uh, the device. This is uh, right now dessert, uh, research dis- uh, device. It's uh, um, it has licenses from UCLA and Harvard, and we're uh, trying to stimulate deep 
uh, areas of the brain in the scanner. And you could imagine that it's kind of dream researcher device. You could stimulate, and we found frequencies on animals where we could activate or inhibit different areas. And right now, we could start to look and stimulate um, uh, different areas of the brain and see how other brain area reacting. We're still trying to research and perfect uh, this methodology. And so it's, uh, it's right now installed in eight different universities, and we're starting to install it in different private centers. But our goal is to, to find out more how, to, how it works in the brain and then apply it to the treatment. But uh, the side effect of this discovery, we were permitted to uh, experiment uh, on coma patients uh, by our human subject protection committee, more, mainly because they, those people may, uh, may have nothing to lose. And we uh, basically trying to find out if this device is safe. Uh, so, and the first person that we started to stimulate thalamic, uh, deep thalamic area woke up, and we were very surprised. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the and there were no side effects. <laughs> and there was none, no side effects. Okay. So, uh, as I understand uh, it, the reason you invented this device is because you felt patients were not responding to existing treatments very well? Well, well, uh, that was one thing, but also I wanted to study circuits because basically right now we're giving people drugs uh, and, and they affect brain as a whole. Uh, we're trying to affect right now individual areas, deep circuits like anxiety circuits. For example, we're just starting at UCLA experiment suppressing amygdala, which is a key center in uh, both PTSD and, uh, uh, and uh, generalized anxiety disorders and, and panic disorders. So I'm, I'm looking forward to more experiments. Right now, two VA systems uh, 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 got the device, like uh, Palo Alto, Stanford VA, and Brown University VA have the device that they're going to apply to people with head injury and post-traumatic stress disorder. So I think as we're deploying the device and we're starting to uh, study it in, uh, in responsible way, our knowledge about how we could modify circuits will be expanded and, and uh, together with a new assessment of the circuits that we're d developing in, in functional MRI it will become uh, 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 the area is ripe right now for introducing new treatments for these disorders, and they would be more focal. They may uh, suppress or eliminate disorders, or maybe they will make them more amenable to behavioral therapy. So right now, those people who do not respond to behavioral therapy or medication and do not respond to RTMS, uh, going on to have electrodes inserted in their brain and uh, and modifying their illness this way for example it's approved there is approved device for um, uh, for insertion of electrodes in the brain and at UCLA we have this 
program, uh, and we worked with the Department of Neurosurgery, and I'm in charge of this program. And uh, so, but those are drastic measures reserved for very, very sick patients. And I hope with our device, we will be treating, uh, say, OCD patients that we're using electrodes right now. Um, uh, two of our investigators, uh, one in Baylor, one in Harvard right now, won breakthrough award in OCD, and they're going to start experiments using BrainSonic's device treating uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, and I hope the results will be spectacular. So the device device has the ability to either activate circuits in coma patients or suppress circuits in anxiety disorder. So it has the ability to do both. It's ability to do both because uh, we need to, uh, since we could move the device and stimulate or uh, activate or inhibit different area, uh, this gives us an opportunity to try different locations and in different patients, they may, uh, may be different. We have very dynamic brain. So what my hope, how the treatment of mental disease will look like that we will be assessing them with, uh, with specific tests in uh, a function of MRI, identifying which, uh, uh, which uh, circuits exhibit, uh, exhibit weakness, correlate that with human behavior, and then uh, administer modifying techniques to modify those circuits to affect the best possible outcome. And then people, uh, if they have residual symptoms, will be going for uh, skill behavior modification because they need to unlearn uh, old coping strategies, which very frequently in treatment resistance patients become habits, and they need to learn new positive. So everything still comes down to learning. Um, right. So, uh, and maybe we would be able to enhance learning by applying our device to memory area. So, well, increase the, access to them. So, it, it, it's multiple applications. We're just at, at uh, the beginning of an uh, extremely interesting and fruitful journey. This is very exciting. I can't wait till you make me into a superwoman with that device, then I won't forget anything. So back uh, to I'll, our... I'll put you in the queue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Um, back to our discussion about anxiety disorder. What would be the call to action for someone who is feeling highly anxious? What, what would be the steps, the top three or four steps that you recommend? Well, uh, 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 the first thing uh, I would recommend is... Uh, if it interferes in your life and does not go away with some of the uh, methods that like herbal medications or or some relaxation exercise and so on and so on if it doesn't go away with that find the professional help uh, the professional help is available there is an organization Anxiety Disorders Association, Anxiety Depression Disorders Association of America, ADAA.org. There is also anxiety.org. I believe you would need to get evaluation 
uh, and uh, then apply uh, the treatment they recommend. And again, the menu of treatments would be medication, behavioral therapy, combination of thereof, um, and um, um, uh, and then uh, do behavioral therapy, which is not immediate thing. It takes a bit uh, uh, to unlearn poor coping strategies, learning new strategies. Somebody has to teach you ABC concept of anxiety so that you know how your uh, symptoms interrupt and anxiety dot org we actually have a a way how you could monitor those uh, and uh, uh, and then uh, be patient this disorder usually requires patience and optimism majority of anxiety disorders are very treatable they go away uh, but you need to apply a different treatment if you become treatment resistant try to look for specialty programs or specialists in in that disorder because they may find out what what went uh, wrong with the previous treatment or or what uh, uh, is needed to be done as the next uh, set of strategies let's say that there are a lot of treatments you just need to find what works for you okay so I love to always end with a transformation story using these steps that you just recommended. So could you tell us about a patient that you work with and how these steps were applied and how it worked for him or her? Something that comes to mind, for example, um, uh, a uh, a story of uh, uh, this person, uh, a writer, who had a social anxiety in combination with panic, uh, and he was completely homebound because he was retrieving, retrieving, retrieving from social, social interaction. And finally, uh, anxiety disorders does not give up to do uh, coping strategies that are inadequate. It's going to get you more sick. So this person um, uh, had actually uh, fear of social interactions and going into social uh, places and, and uh, for fear of panic attacks. And, uh, and sometimes it was accompanied by diarrhea. So, uh, so he was giving first presentations and then because he was writing plays and uh, movies, he could retreat and retreat and retreat, uh, and finally, uh, it's a sad story. He was homebound. So uh, uh, he was slowly explained what needed to be done. Uh, slowly, we exposed him his internal sensations of anxiety and panic. We slowly exposed him to... Uh, external situation more and more and more, rehearsing it several times because you really need to relearn. You already learn how not to go there, and it's not a simple desensitization. You have to new coping, adequate coping strategies. But eventually he could come out, did presentation, uh, started to become even more successful because now he could sell his stories. That story was positive. He was fully functional. 
Well, thank you for this uh, transformation story. And thank you for joining me on Spark today, Dr. Bostrzewski. Thank you very much.